Good morning, everyone. This morning, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, where Paul gives instructions to uh, husbands and wives as he speaks to the marriage relationship. And I need you to understand something that's really important right up front. So listen to this very clearly. The biblical mandate for marriage is humanly impossible to fulfill. Got that? The biblical mandate for marriage is humanly impossible to fulfill. What God requires of husbands and wives is simply outside the boundaries of normal human capacity. It is impossible for us to fulfill the biblical mandate for marriage on our own. In case you're a little skeptical, let me give you a couple examples from Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding manner. Think about what I just said. <laughs> I challenge you to find one man, single, married, doesn't matter, one man on the face of the earth who can adequately understand and explain all the intricate complexities of the female mind. And yet, the instruction to husbands is understand your wife. So, from a biblical perspective, God is telling us to do something that no man is capable of doing on his own. And wives, in case you think you get off easy, I'll go to 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to read this one to you. Listen to what it says. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Wives are called to love their husbands even when their husband is not very lovable. To the point is that it says that they may be won without a word being spoken. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> the biblical mandate for marriage is impossible to fulfill on our own. So if you're hoping that this morning you can come and, and get a list of things that you can do that guarantees a good outcome in your marriage, I'm going to tell you right up front, it's not going to happen. It doesn't exist. It's not in here because it's not something that is humanly possible to do on our own. The only way, the only way to live up to God's design for marriage is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everything that Paul said in the passage preceding this one about being filled with the Holy Spirit has to be carried over into this context because it is impossible outside of a work of God that equips us in ways that we are simply incapable of on our own apart from Him. Apart from a miraculous work of God, husbands cannot love their wives as Christ loved the church. Apart from a miraculous work of God, wives could not submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous mystery of marriage is humanly impossible. 
by God's design, it cannot be experienced as He intended apart from Him. But if we trust Him, the beauty of what God designed marriage to be goes so well beyond the happily ever after that we hear about. In fact, it becomes a living example of Christ's love for us. It puts the beauty of the gospel on display. The design of marriage is far beyond anything that we could ask or imagine. And that's what God is inviting us into when we step into his design. And that's what we want to look at when we look at this passage this morning. So before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we want to do so humbly, especially when we enter into a discussion about marriage, which even within Christian circles in our world today is a disaster. So clearly, we need to hear with some clarity what it is that you intend the relationship to be as you designed it. So give us soft hearts, take away guards preconceived ideas or notions. May our mind be open and our hearts be soft to your instruction and guidance for your design. This was your idea. And when we trust you and follow you, it works as you intended. We want to experience that as we trust in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 If you want to read along with me, we'll start there. It says, verse 22, Wives, be subject or submissive to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now, I'll admit right up front and and, and just... Uh, speak to the fact that I understand submissive is a dirty word in our society today. I understand that. But we cannot let what the world says distract us from the biblical perspective of what God intends. We need to see it from his point of view. Because from a biblical perspective, loving submission is what leads to divine blessing. It is a blessing, not a curse as the world would suggest. Look no further than what we just read in verse 24. But as the church is submissive to Christ. So let me just stop there. Church, that's you. That's me. What have we gained through our submission to Jesus Christ? We have learned that all throughout our study. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, let's just start there. Okay? Through our submission to Christ, we have gained His grace, which has been lavished upon us. Okay, Through our submission to Christ, we have gained a freedom through the security of the promise of His love. So that no matter what we do, we cannot make Him love us more, nor is there anything that we can do to make Him love us less. Do you see what we have gained through our submission to Jesus Christ? Is that a curse? By no means. It is the entrance into every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We know that is it intended to be a blessing because it's an attribute of Jesus Christ. It's how he lived. 
It can't be derogatory if it's used to describe him. In fact, Jesus used it to describe himself. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. He says this. Jesus therefore said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I can do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father instructs me. Even in those moments before he made that sacrifice he was just pointing to, what did he say? Not my will, Father, but your will be done. He was submissive to the work of the Father on our behalf. So even within the the context of that undivided fellowship of the Trinity, we see a perfect example of loving submission. If submission was degrading, it would not be true of God. If submission was degrading, it would not be true of his bride, the church. We can't let a sinful worldview distract us from the beauty of a biblical perspective. A wife's submission to her husband is part of God's design for marriage, and it begins with her faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 22 again, and I want to point out the fact, no matter what language that you read this in, there is no period after husbands. It does not say, wives, be subject to your own husbands, period. It says, as to the Lord. A wife's submission to her husband flows out of her devotion to Jesus Christ. It is a loving trust in his design. I also want you to notice that in verse 23, as Paul is speaking to the headship of the husband, it's in the context of his instruction to the wife. I believe the reason that that's the case is because spiritual leadership of the husband is God's idea. Spiritual leadership of the husband is part of God's design. Despite the fact that it's not a role that any man has earned or deserved or may be very good at for that matter. But it's God's design. And so we are called to honor that design. And a a wife specifically is called to be submissive to her husband because that is a responsibility given to him by the Lord. Like Jesus, her submission is voluntary. It's not coerced. This is not a bitter submission of, okay, I'll do it, but I don't have to like it. That's not what this is talking about because that's not what we see in Jesus, right? Not my will, Father, but your will be done. I submit because I trust you. It's the same heart here. The wife is submitting to her husband out of devotion to Christ. She is saying, I trust you. She's not putting her trust in her husband. She's putting her trust in the Lord. And that's why her submission is unconditional. If you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to add a couple of verses to what I read to you earlier. But I want to go ahead and back up to verse 1. So 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1. And read that with me. It says, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, 
so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Listen to what it goes on to say. And let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. You see, all of the qualities of a wife's behavior toward her husband flow out of the attitude of her heart before the Lord. Those same gentle and quiet attributes that are precious in the sight of God are the ones that are evidenced in her chaste and respectful behavior that wins the heart of her husband without a word. She can have this behavior even when her husband is disobedient to the word because she is not looking to her husband to find value and purpose and worth. She finds all that in her relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where she finds value because she knows that she is precious in his sight. God has determined her beauty based on what he sees on the inside, not on what she wears on the outside or how she adorns herself. You see, the submission of a wife flows out of her faith in Jesus Christ. She honors her husband because of the responsibility given to him by God. Her behavior is not based on what her husband deserves because she's not trusting in her husband. She's trusting in the Lord. Her behavior is a reflection of her devotion to Jesus Christ. He's the source of her value, of her purpose, of her worth. And that loving submission is a divine attribute that leads to divine blessing. But hear me again. It is impossible apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit and walking faithfully in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So husbands, we have an equally impossible job description. We are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Our standard Husbands, that we are called to follow is the greatest act of sacrificial love the world has ever known. And Paul looks at that example and says, Husbands, go do what Jesus did. Lay down your life for the good of your wife. Be a blessing in such a way that she becomes everything God created her. And husbands, God will hold you accountable to that which he has called you to do. See, men, when we hear that part, we should have a little lump in our throat. We should kind of catch our breath. Because God will hold us accountable. You hear this? God will hold us accountable for something that is impossible for us to do on our own. Even though we are incapable 
of what he's asking of us, he says we are accountable to fulfilling it. And so that should drive us to our knees in dependence upon him. In fact, look at that, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse again. We're going to go to verse 7. I'm going to read the rest of what I read to you this morning. It begins by saying, Husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding manner. And it says, As with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now let me point out the fact that women are not being called a weaker vessel because they are somehow inferior to a man. The Bible is very clear that they are of equal value and incredibly precious in the sight of God. And so for that reason, husbands are being called to provide tender care. You've heard me use this illustration before. This is something that I've learned from my friend Mark, and I think it gives us a great picture. I think that weaker vessel is intended to communicate something of like a, a fine piece of china. It's beautiful, it's ornate, it's fragile. So you don't take that fine piece of china and throw it up in the cabinet with your everyday dishes, do you? No, you take it and you set it apart. You put it in the cabinet where it's protected. You shine a light on it so that every detail of its beauty is highlighted. And that's the picture of the tender care that we as husbands are called to give to our wives. And the accountability is at the end of that verse. What does it say? So that your prayers may not be hindered. Don't lose sight of that. <laughs> because husbands, <laughs> if we're not concerned for our wife in a loving and tender way, God does not hear our prayers. He will not bless those that are not stewarding the responsibility that he has given to them. And at the heart of that responsibility is a sacrificial love. Husbands are called to love their wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what that means is that the husband is called to consider the needs of his wife as more important than his own. She must be more important than your career. She must be more important than your children. She must be more important than your hobbies. She must be more important than any financial security that you might be able to pride. Do not believe the lie that the world says your only job is to provide for your family. That's a lie. Because that only gives you an excuse to fulfill a duty and stay disconnected from them emotionally. She is the most important prized possession in your life. And you honor her. And you give your life for her. And you treat her that way. And just like the wife, our devotion is called to be unconditional as well. But that's what covenant love is. In fact, you express that magnitude of love in your wedding vows. You took out all the conditions when you said, for better, for worse, sickness and in health for richer, for poor. The, whole, the, the point of that is, no matter where we are on the spectrum of possibilities, there is nothing that will keep me from loving you as Christ has called me to. 
In God's design for marriage, there's no such thing as I'll love you if, and then fill in the blank. It is within this context of unconditional love that transformation takes place. It's true in our relationship with God, and it's true in the relationship of marriage. Look back in our passage in verse 26 and listen to what it says. Speaking of Christ's love for the church, so that he, Jesus, might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present himself to the church, in the uh, present himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and blameless sacrificial love has a sanctifying work in a person's life it's true in our relationship with god and it's true in the relationship of marriage you've heard me say this before and i know this to be true And that is, you have no idea how selfish you really are until you get married. And then you realize how many things centered around you and what made you happy and what you wanted to do and when you wanted to do it, how you wanted to do it. And now there's another human being. And you're called to consider her needs as more important than your own. But that covenant commitment of love allows for whatever flaws exist to be exposed. Husbands, this is the place where we are called to lead the way. This is where our loving and tender care is essential. Because our wife has to know that it's safe not to be everything that the world says that she's supposed to be. Forever young and beautiful, cooking the best meals every day, hot and ready when we arrive having a career that she can contribute to the financial well-being of the home while at the same time she manages the home and raises the family. Fooey. That's what the world says. That's not what God's perspective is. Marriage is a partnership, not a divide and conquer. We are called to be a student of our wife's heart. To be faithful in prayer. To love her in a way that she can become everything God created her to be. And this will not happen if we wrongly assume that it's our job to point out all her flaws. There needs to be a security that your love is going to be the same no matter what flaws are exposed. And that there's freedom and security within the relationship for y'all to walk through the reality that you're both flawed. You both fall short. And you both are in desperate need of the grace of God and his promise of forgiveness. Husbands are called to love their wife in a way that she doesn't have to hide in fear. So that together you can embrace the promise of God's forgiveness. Husbands are called to love their wives in a way that she doesn't have to worry about rejection so that together you can embrace the promise of God's acceptance. We're called to love in a way that she becomes everything that God created her to be and she needs to know that you are for her, that you will lead with a love that is full of grace and forgiveness 
God created marriage to be a relationship where it's safe to be exposed because there's security in the commitment that you've made before the Lord that took away all the conditions that might be possible. Look at how he continues in verse 28. So husbands also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. I've been puzzled by this set of verses for some time now, and I think that uh, perhaps this week as I've spent time in the Word, the Lord has uh, revealed some things to me that I've not appreciated before. And the thing that really has caught my attention is the importance of making sure that we understand that what Paul is saying has not been disconnected from that example that we see in Jesus Christ. He's been talking about the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. And then he goes on in verse 30 and says, because we are members of his body. If he loved himself more than he loved us, then he would have preserved his own life. He would have not died on the cross. But because his love was of such a magnitude that he was willing to to give up his life for our sake. There's a great passage that we're familiar with, but I think it helps us come to life. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which has also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of man, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Ephesians, Paul has not lost sight of this example of Jesus Christ. He is instructing husbands to do what Jesus did. Husbands, don't use your authority to prove your dominance any more than Jesus used his authority to do the same. Don't stand apart in criticism and judgment, but like Jesus, draw near in forgiveness and grace. Jesus gave his life so that his bride, the church, might be holy and blameless before God. He is unconditionally committed to our highest good. We are his body. And he cares for us in a sacrificial way. In the same way, husbands do the same in caring for your wife in the same sacrificial way. What is true for Jesus should be true for husbands as well. Husbands, I challenge you to go and read that Philippians verse with your role in mind. Emptying yourself. Putting things aside. Humble service giving your life. Now look at how he finishes in our passage, verse 31. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife even as himself and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. By God's design, marriage makes two people one flesh. 
two people turn into one flesh, which means that they became, become as much the same person as any two people can be. They worship the same Lord. They have the same family. They share in the same hope and the promise of eternal life as believers in Christ. When one person hurts, they both hurt. When one person rejoices, they both rejoice. It is this one flesh unity of marriage that reflects the beautiful mystery of Christ's relationship with his body, the church. In verse 30, Paul says that we are members of his body. We worship the same Lord. We are part of the same family as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the same future because of a shared hope in him. We share in the same destiny because of the promise of eternal life. We are so deeply connected, as we learn from 1 Corinthians, that when one of us suffers, we all suffer. When one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. Do you see the connection here? What is true in the relationship between Jesus and His bride, the church, which are members of His body, should also exist within the relationship between a husband and a wife. God designed the marriage to reveal the beautiful mystery of Christ's relationship with his bride, the church. It's intended to be a living witness of Christ's love for us. It it puts the, the reality of the gospel on display. Because it's so important, Paul closes with that final reminder in verse 33. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself. Let his wife see to it that she respect her husband. Notice that Paul is no longer speaking in general terms about all husbands and all wives. He's speaking specifically, individually, because of the personal responsibility that each husband and each wife must take. It's not conditioned based on what the other one does. It's an act of obedience out of devotion to Christ. And it's a responsibility that we individually bear. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. It's no ordinary love. It's sacrificial. It's no ordinary submission. It's humble. And neither of which are possible apart from a work of the Holy Spirit. Marriage is really not just a parallel to that relationship of Christ and his church. It's birthed out of the very same love. It's not possible apart from that. They are deeply connected to one another. Now, I know that some have been listening, and because of your experiences and history, you may be thinking in your mind, yeah, but what if, fill in the blank, Some of you are single and you're thinking, well, what about me or divorced or widow? There's all kinds of categories that are not spoken to here. But let me say this. I believe the very same principle applies. It is impossible in any area of life that you want to name to be faithful to that as God intended apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit by walking faithfully in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We have to abide in him to experience what he intended. And it's true for all of us, regardless of what category we may be in. 
and God's divine providence this week, not knowing, it was two, a week ago, not knowing where we would be in our passage, uh, uh, Tom came to me and he said, hey, I want to just take a minute, if you've got time, to share a little bit of something about what's been going on in our marriage. Well, after hearing his story, I changed my schedule of when I would be teaching so that I could speak to this passage this morning and not next week when half of you will be gone. <laughs> because what he has to say fits perfectly with what God is instructing us in this passage. And the Lord has been gracious to help lead the way. And I've asked Tom and April to share that story. So if you guys would come and do so. If you would give them um, your attention. If you've ever been through difficulties, you know it's not an easy thing to stand up in front of a group of people and share those. Um, but I hope you'll be blessed, and I'm sure you will by what they have to say. It's a redemptive work. So, Tom. Thank you. Good morning. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Tom Katie. This is my wife, April, my love, my darling, my sunshine. She's what makes my heart burst. But it wasn't always like that. Um, a, a while ago, my buddy, my best friend from high school, came to me and said, Tom, you're a liar. What? You, Tom, are a liar. Either you lied back when you were standing at the altar, or you're lying to me now. But in any event, you, Tom, are a liar. Let me back up the story and fill in behind that. So we've been married 15, 17, 18 years, however long it was, and, and we um, began to experience some hardships as many, if not most, and, and I cannot say all marriages, but uh, most marriages get to a difficult place, right? There's all this stuff going on. There's babies and careers and laundry and, and houses and cars and financing and all this stuff. And, and all that that manages to do is take my attention away from the one that God brought to me, whom I said I would love forever. And, and we started n not being all that nice and kind and loving and gentle caring and concerned with each other because we're too concerned about stuff and things and, and are my needs being met or are, are they not? And so my uh, <clears throat> buddy calls me one day and, Tom, what's going on? Just to check in and I tell him, hey, life sucks, my marriage and this and that and I just spend 20 minutes biting his ear about how bad my marriage is and how terrible my life has become because of her. Wow, that's interesting. He said, Tom, I got to go. I, I, I got to call you later. I got something great. So I hang up. The next day he calls and, and talks to my wife while I'm at work. And I'm so thankful that he did. But before we go there, April. Well, I, I don't even really have the words to follow what God has already said in his passages that Todd has spoken of, that it truly simply got to the point that, I mean, I, I, I hated him. It's not a strong enough word. It was, it was vehement 
hey, I had plans, I was leaving, I was done. I had tried everything, we'd gone to counselors, we were doing our readings, we had special Bibles, we were doing our, DV I mean, there was nothing I wasn't doing that I was asked to do, but somewhere in there, something still wasn't right, not just with me, but with our relationship. And I got to the point that I just, I, I gave up. I literally gave up. And the best way I described it to Tom was I just sat quietly and waited. That's all I did. I could pray. I could, I could just be quiet because, like the Bible says, we, us chirping out flaws isn't going to do anything. And we all have them. So us two imperfect beings were, were trying to make something perfect, and we could not do it. I couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And literally, I had plans to leave. I had already contacted, the, I had plans, it was that bad. And it wasn't bad, you guys, a day or a month, or even a year. It was bad a long time. And it wasn't that we weren't trying in and of ourselves. But we could, that still wasn't enough. And literally, one day, he, he came and told me after uh, his, his friend had called the house and said, how are things? And I said, well, do you really want a, a good answer or the real answer? And I told him I, I was done. And he took my husband for a weekend, and they met in uh, Santa Rosa. And he told Tom, I need you to come. Your life depends on it. Your wife depends on it. Your children depend on it. And someone had done that with him and taken him under his wing when their marriage was in the same boat. And all he did was call me a couple days later when Tom came home and said, just give him a lot of grace. It's been a rough weekend. That's all he said. And so I just stayed quiet. I just stayed quiet and was around. And that's, that's when things changed. Well, well that's when God, God changed Tom. Okay, so I had lists that you refer to, right? I, I need intimacy, I need warm meals, I need, I need, I need all these things, right? And my needs were not being met. And the counselors we saw said, Tom, change your behavior. Don't worry about food and don't, you know, except they missed the deal. Tom, love your wife the way Christ loves the church. Tom, tell me, what about unconditional love has a condition on it? N nothing. Okay, there's your mandate, Tom. Do that. But wait, stop. I can't. I, what if she just stop? You can't even start the sentence of what if, because it doesn't matter, right? Because we can't say, hey, Christ, what, what if I do this, huh? Will you love me? Yeah. What if I'm an adulterer, an idolater, a liar, a thief, a cheat, any of the top ten and any of the others? Will he still love us? Yeah. There's your example, Tom. Just do that. The problem is, as Todd shared, I, I, I can't. I, I can't do that. So I came home. First, I repented to God. I'm, I'm sorry. I lied. I'm a liar. I'm exactly what Reuben said. You're going to have to change me. You're going to have to fill me with your spirit. You have to teach me how to do that which I say I'm going to do, which is love her no matter what. I mean, I don't care what she does or doesn't do. or It doesn't matter. 
I'm incapable of that. Th then I repented to my wife and, and thanked her every day for months on end for not leaving me, for not putting um, forks in my eyeballs while I slept. <laughs> right? Because she has every reason, every motivation to do that and would be totally justified knowing me, right? So um, it, it was about nine or 10 months of, Tom, stop, don't, don't respond. What would Christ say or do? How can you love her in this situation, this very second? And it was a conscious effort of me relying on the Holy Spirit. Show me how to not do that which I've been doing for years because what I've been doing does not work. And, and, and over time, I think my wife got to the point where she realized, wow, he actually does love me and I can be my, myself and, I, and, I, and, I, and it's okay. And here's when I knew that our relationship turned a corner. Laughter came back to my household, right? We, years, we didn't laugh. We would see funny movies and we'd laugh at the movie, but just the joy of letting go and laughing with my wife and with my girls, laughter came back and that's when I knew, wow, it's okay. I, I, God has taught Tom how to love his wife unconditionally. But that's my side of the story. April needs to tell you more. I, I can't tell you how or what, but I felt his love. When we got married and everybody in here, for those of you who are married, you, it's just like that a little emotional high and you think it's wonderful and you love somebody and you think this is great. It's, you don't have a freaking clue. Okay, excuse me, excuse me. You, you, if I, if I pulled you in before we got married and we, we took all these couples in this room at any age that have been married and said, okay, we're going to all help these young couples who are getting married and say, now, you know, how do you do your finances? Are you wise? Are you not wise? Do you, do you tithe? Do you not tithe? Do you go to church? Where are your foundations? Where, okay, that's all. If all of that was put out on the table, which we all talk about, it really doesn't matter if we don't love each other. It really doesn't matter. And I don't know how I felt or what was different, but I can tell you now that we, we even crack jokes that I don't think there's anything. We're stronger than we've ever been. I don't think we'll ever go through anything like that again. God willing, please don't try me on that, God, please. <laughs> um, and it, it, it was, um, he loves me. I know he loves me. He, it's not what he says, it's what he does. It's not how he does things, it's how he treats me. And he loves me. And when you feel love, like you're not going to be slayed away for everything that you, you do right and wrong, because we aren't perfect. None of us are. And the world has called us to be things that we cannot be. I can't be a full-time mom and a full-time this and a full-time worker, and I can't. But our life has dictated that I work for my children and I wouldn't trade that for anything. But somewhere in there, this has to stay solid. And the only thing that changed was our hearts. And we didn't do it. We didn't do it. God did it. Holy Spirit did it. Because I can tell you in and of ourselves, we, it, it wasn't pleasant. And the point of that isn't that my bad is worse than your bad. Everybody's got bad, bad's bad. 
but you don't have to give up. You don't. There's hope. And it really works. And you have to just let go. And, and, and time. Not a day, you guys. I mean, everyone's, God's got his time for everybody. Ours was years. You just have to let go and let God take care of it. I mean, the Holy Spirit can absolutely do it. And we're living proof. We were always kind of nutty and all that other stuff now, but we're back to where the neighbors and people come over and think that we're, we're wow. whacked, and we are. <laughs> so it's just, you know, that's... It's, it's very true. Men, I, I, I'm speaking to you now. Um, if your marriage is not what it should be, it's not what you want it to be, it's not what the Bible says it, it should be, you hold the key, you have a key in your pocket, and it's up to you guys to take it out. It's up to you to put the key into the lock and turn it. It's up to you men to open that door. And that is to love your wives the way Christ loves the church. Later on in the passage, it says, wives, see to it that you respect your husbands. If, if you're doing like Tom was doing, well, I'm a liar, which means she can't respect, does not respect a liar. So I'm keeping her from doing that, which the Bible tells her to do, respect your husband, because I was a liar. Well, you know what? First things first. Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. You can't do it. I can't do it without the Holy Spirit, without Christ redeeming us and redeeming our hearts and then redeeming our marriages. We're here to tell you that it's man, been a wild ride, but I love her more now than I ever have. I don't know what it was I had for her at the altar, but it wasn't love. <laughs> what I got now is wonderful love. Thank you. Well, obviously, anytime we do a testimony, what is being said by them far surpasses anything that I might try to communicate beforehand, because that's the real story of real life lived out in a practical way, and they're living proof that what God's Word says is true. It's redemptive, and it works. A couple of things I want you to notice about their story. I want you to notice how the body of Christ was involved. Tom's friend is a believer. He understood what God's word has called him to. And as his friend, he could not let him continue down a road doing that which opposed what he knew God had called him to. He had to speak truth in love. And then he encouraged his wife, April, to give grace. As Tom learned and grew and understood what it meant to fulfill that which he was called to do. And I believe they would tell you that within this body, there are those who came alongside them and will continue to help them be faithful. Just as there are people who have come along, Terry and I, for the very same reason. So we are all trusting in the Lord to accomplish things that we cannot do on our own. And we need each other to encourage one another so that we are faithful to that which he's called us to do. Amen? And if we are faithful to that, that's just one of a lot of stories that we could run up here, one right after the other, because God is good. Let's pray. God, I'm just grateful this morning for the testimony of your faithfulness. The things that we have heard give living proof that your word is 
living and active. That it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That it pierces to the very depths of our heart. Reveals our sinful flaws. And welcomes and invites us to loving and forgiving grace. It promises empowering love. Through that forgiveness. The, the work of the Spirit. To help us become everything you created us to be. To help our marriages become everything you created them to be. To help our church become everything you created it to be. Your design is perfect. We may be flawless. We may not be flawless, but you are. We are imperfect, but you are perfect. So we pray that we continue to come before you humbly, dependent, knowing apart from you we can do nothing. And may we see your redemptive work being done so that the name of our Savior Jesus Christ is proclaimed for all the world to see. To him be the praise and glory and honor forever and ever. Amen.